We are continuing our series on John, but we're going to take a little bit of a, a, a detour, or maybe not a detour. Um, last week, I think I promised John 6, and on Monday morning, just began to feel uh, that there were some things left unsaid. So yay for you, more, more from what we've already been talking about. But I really do think that John 1 through 5 have a few themes, and I want to make sure we not only gain an understanding of those themes before we move on, but I will be gone the next two Sundays, and then I thought John 6 would be better preached together the successive weeks. So I'm going to pre- also going to do something a little differently. I'm not going to read the text before preaching, but as I tell you the theme, I'm going to refer back to that portion of John as well as other places. So if you'll pray with me, we'll begin. Heavenly Father, uh, first of all, we praise you for what we just uh, witnessed, that we know heaven was singing uh, with, with the baptism of Simon, with the joining of the new members, Lord, and with this entire worship service, it brings you joy. And Lord, your glory is on display. I pray that this sermon, uh, I pray your spirit would use the truths in John's gospel as well as a few other places uh, to help us better understand what it means to glorify you. Amen. In Brent's prayer, he brought up something uh, that we often talk about in Reformed circles, and that's the first question of the Shorter Catechism. So the Westminster Confession of Faith, uh, the writers decided to write two catechisms, and the shortest one, the Shorter Catechism, is better to memorize. And the very first question is, what is the chief end of man? And that's an, if you've seen City Slickers, that question was also asked in City Slickers, Right? Billy Crystal wanted to know, what is the meaning of life? So when you hear what is the chief end of man, that's what's being asked. And it's important that every one of you at least buy into the fact that right now, somewhere in your life, you're asking that question. Every day, everything you do wraps around in some way, what's the point? What's the meaning? What's the, and of course, as they would say, the chief end of man. That's just a nice, more reformed way to say that. And the answer, of course, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's the answer of the Shorter Catechism. Now, when you hear that, the two verbs are to glorify and to enjoy. But my guess is often that sounds like a parent saying, you should really like your vegetables. You know, well, I guess I should. You know, I should probably glorify God. I should probably enjoy him. And many of you would say, no, I do glorify God. I do enjoy him. But if we are honest, this side of heaven, that's tempered. It's not as expressive as we would like. We don't, that's not our driving passion when, when we wake up and our feet hit the ground every morning. And so what I'm hoping to do in this discussion is, is pick up these three themes, which I'm about to tell you, to see how we can better glorify God and enjoy him. Um, I had an experience with, uh, this is going to get a little scandalous for a moment, uh, a student, we played Stump the Chump in RUF, that means... Every Wednesday, I would give a talk like Shane does a sermon. But once every semester, I did stump the chump. And you could ask any question. You should get Shane to do this. And he has to answer the question. I guess you can always raise your hand and say, I just don't know the answer to that. How, you know, can God create a rock so heavy he can't lift it? That kind of thing. Well, one student was about to leave. She's like, I've got to go, but can I ask my question? Will there be sex in heaven? I'm like, I wish you would have just left. <laughs> you know, that's what most people do. Um, here is my answer. Whatever you think, because she is at this point never had had sex and she was just excited about marriage and all that, 
I said, whatever you think that is, whatever the true fulfillment of that is, heaven will blow that away. Heaven will blow that away. Imagine a child saying, will there be tinker toys in heaven? You would never say, actually, Tommy, there won't be tinker toys. You would say, yes, what you love about tinker toys will someday be the way you love heaven and infinitely more. When you are in the presence of God, you will feel in your body joy. You will enjoy God forever. So that's what I want us to learn about. That's what I want us to talk about. Jesus wants us to enjoy God, to glorify God. So here are the three, uh, the three seemingly separate themes that have not been rightly dealt with yet. I'm hoping to deal with them together. And my bigger hope is that you'll see how they come together to say, here's what we're going to say. How do we find enjoyment in God's infinite glory? Here are the themes. Glory. Surprise, I've just been talking about that for the last few minutes. The second theme is uh, witness or testimony. Could that sound any more like, we'll, we'll endure that point. Trust me, it's a good point. You stick with me. And the third one's even worse, judgment. That's our third theme. Those are the three themes. And I promise you that you're going to see how the three work in unison to actually point to how we enjoy God and glorify him and enjoy him forever. So, with that being said, let's look at glory in the beginning. Literally, we're going to go to John 1 in the beginning. Um, and I want us to see just these words, remembering all the way back to the beginning of our discussion. Starting in verse 4 of chapter 1, John says, In him, referring to Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, <clears throat> and darkness has not overcome it. And then in verse 14, he picks up, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. We have seen his glory. Now, glory is a word that, um, again, it, it reminds me of a art. You take a, a classroom to an art museum. Meredith's class went to the art museum, the Philbrook. And it was just interesting to watch these students try to pretend that what the docent was saying was glorious was glorious. It was like, this painting, is, the artist felt this and put the red stripe there. And, and the kids are just kind of like, I don't see it. You know? And that's how we feel. And often I think we come to God's glory that way. Like, you're telling me God's glorious, but is he glorious? And what we find is to understand the meaning of glory, here's a working definition I'm processing, but it's a physiological response to a physical reality. God is glorious, right? Often in scripture, that's um, used, light is used, the brightness and heat, right? And that lightness and that brightness requires a physiological response. You can't be neutral to light. You've got to either cover your eyes, suppressing the glory, or you've got to embrace the glory, but there's no neutrality, right? Remember in the Old Testament, when the people of Israel came out of Egypt, there was a pillar of, of smoke in the day and by night a pillar of fire. It's a physical representation of the glory of God. Later, um, Sinai, like this mountain that was an ordinary mountain, became extraordinary as God descended onto the peaks of Mount Sinai and you could, the people could see and hear like the smoke and the fire and there was glory in it. Moses himself in the tent of meeting would meet with God and come out radiating light. Glowing with light. That's what glory looks like. And then in Romans 1, 
Paul tells us about glory when he says this. He says, for although they knew God, they did not honor God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. And they began to exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds and animals and creeping things. I'll, I'll go back to that passage in a little bit, but I want you to hear that they, didn't just, they weren't just neutral, they suppressed the truth, right? How are you suppressing the truth? How are we, if we're not experiencing the glory of God, suppressing that reality in our lives? Do you all remember the video, um, the double rainbow? Who saw the double rainbow video? Come on. Let's, I just want to, just for fun, show your hands. You know what I'm talking about. Really? Am I that old? There was a viral, maybe like one of the first viral videos I remember is um, a man who's enjoyed God's creation in ways it wasn't meant to be enjoyed. And so now mentally he's not completely where he should be. Uh, and there's also wherever he is in nature, a rainbow. And he just walks out and the video's rolling. I don't know who's videoing him. Maybe he set it up. And he's just, oh, rainbow. Oh my goodness, it's glory. And he starts weeping. And then it turns into a double rainbow. And the guy just becomes, you gotta, you gotta Google this. A double rainbow. And as I thought about that video, I think, why does that video go viral? There's a lot of videos of people being dumb, right? Why, why that one? And I think it's this. There's something in all of us that thinks we should be doing that, right? I mean, shouldn't we? I mean, you're driving down the road, your, your child says, hey, there's a rainbow. Get out of here, everyone, a rainbow. We don't do that. I got places to go, right? People to see. I'm busy. Adulthood is set in. We'll save that glory for another day. And yet our child's face says it all, that, that there's glory out there. And the question is, why are we not experiencing the glory of God? We read already, I want to just point back to it, Psalm 96. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation. How do you read that in the mornings? Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Are you proclaiming these psalms? Are you praising God? Are you entering in to his glory? Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Like he's saying to you, regardless of how you feel, based on faith, enter in with others, or if you're privately praising him, this psalm and others like it, and sing praises to him. Ascribe to him glory. Are we doing that? And my, my guess is yes, for many of us, that is something we're doing. But oftentimes, when we're done with our quiet time, other glories begin to fill us, right? Other things. Coming back to our passage in John, uh, John tells us this in chapter 5, where we were last week, uh, verse 44 he says, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? So as we are entering this conversation, we're asking the question, why don't I have that response, that double rainbow, so to speak, response to God? And the answer is, I'm receiving glory from other people. 
So we're going to now transition to point two because we're going to kind of build on everything as we move forward. Now, transition is this. The testimony, the, the witness that we accept is that which I think, which John tells us, reveals to us what we give glory. So this whole point John's making in chapter five is uh, Jesus is saying, I am bearing witness about me. Uh, the Father, the Spirit is bearing witness about me. I have signs I've done that are bearing witness about me. And the scriptures bear witness about me. You do not receive them because you are receiving glory from somewhere else. This is very important because most of us, we're, gonna, we're, we're, we're transitioning to testimony and witnessing. How do you know what you know? Like, how do you, like, everyone, like, how do you know the things you know? It's a really weird thing to think about. It's a very challenging thing to answer. Um, I, 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 I will show my ignorance by asking these questions, and I'm sure college students are like, that's been solved years ago. But I've just often wondered, like, how do you know about Abraham Lincoln? Like, how do you really, can you prove, raise your hand if you think you could prove Abraham Lincoln's existence. Come on, who's going to raise their hand? Tucker can prove Abraham, <laughs> thank you, Shane. <laughs> Shane's like, down. <laughs> I had, uh, last week I didn't use it, so I thought about it, and then I met with a student this week and tested this theory. But you walk into every classroom or a science classroom in America and you see the periodic table. How many of you believe in the periodic table? I mean, I do. It's there in every classroom. I'm told there's numbers that I don't understand, right? Um, so I'm sitting with a chemist. I said, hey, let me just ask you a question. Like, I can't prove that God exists. I'm just going to lay that out. Can you prove atomic theory? Can you prove elements are real? Can you prove that this solid thing is made up of however many little things that have like things swirling around? Can you prove that? And the answer was no. I've done a lot of, um, I've done a lot of like equations. I've studied it and they all seem to inform me that that is true. I can't prove that. That's a good place to go. How do you believe what you believe? How do you know what you know? And here's the answer that social knowledge experts, sociology, the sociology of knowledge experts would say. You believe the things that the people you want to like you believe. You believe what the crowd whom you want to like you believes. In other words, you believe what gives you glory. Right? So if you think, I knew this, I was in a small town, I believe this stuff, flannel graph, Moses, Noah's Ark, all that. I came over here and the really smart people who are attractive, who give out grades and have jobs told me otherwise, I'm starting to question this. But I don't have a really good rational reason. I just know I want these people to like me now. Does that make sense? That's what we see in Romans 1. We saw it in, and we just saw it again um, in John 5, that they've exchanged the glory of God, Romans 1 tells us, for things that are made, and listen to what, what Paul is saying. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. In other words, they say these created things which have a glory with a little g. Human beings have a glory with a little g, like the moon last week. The moon doesn't produce light. It reflects light. Only the sun makes the light. So only God has true glory, but it's being reflected off things, but we turn those things into little idols. Right? And those are what we build our lives around. And that's the, that, that becomes the, our source of witness and testimony. So what do I listen to? What do I believe? What do I lean into uh, for, my, for my livelihood, for my survival? Who are you listening to? 
Perfect. <laughs> Wyatt. Who are you listening to, Wyatt? I don't know. Tim Keller's on here. I, was, I remember the uh, Stockholm Syndrome. They've done so many experiments following up with that, but this theory that not necessarily just when you're in captivity, but when you're also just under the uh, sort of the authority of a person, you'll do harmful things to people. There was this, this scientific experiment they did at a school. They had to quit doing it. They called two groups in, or they called a group in, and this, this group has said, look, this other group, the actors, they didn't know, are over there, and don't, don't worry about them. We're going to ask them questions, but when they get the question wrong, you're going to push this button, it's going to hurt. It's like electronic shock. Don't worry. Okay, you know, so they do it. And then the actor gets it wrong and then fakes hurt, you know. Ow! You know, they're in another room, they're pushing the button. But the, the subject in the room's like stressing out, like pushing the button. And then the person's progressively in anguish. And then the person in charge is like, you got to keep doing this. We've signed up. We have this agreement. Remember the paperwork? And, the, and in, the, in the face of this tension, they, most of them would acquiesce and continue to push the button. I remember another, like a 2020 or something, where the people would walk in and then the actors got on an elevator but faced sideways. Not, you know, you get on an elevator, you face the door, right? And so the person's like, gets on the elevator and <laughs> does this. Well, and they would interview them later. There was another one in the same episode where they asked questions. And they're like math questions or something that you pretty well knew the answer to. But everyone before them answered wrongly. Yet the facilitator would say, correct, correct, correct. So they get to the person and they change their answer. There is a social pressure. I have never been on Instagram very often. I don't get Instagram. Like I started to get on Instagram. I thought, it's just a photo stream. I don't understand. I'm not tearing down Instagram. My wife likes Instagram. But she, we were talking about this. She's like, that's what it is. It's how many likes, how many followers. And the, we were talking about this person who has like how many followers? 50,000. And this person lives in the Oklahoma Metroplex. And this person will go like into like Target. I'm looking at scarves, everybody, you know. And everyone's like, 50,000 people are like, really? I have to go buy that scarf. Because that person is, where I, is who I'm trusting. Do you see how this works? We are all in the thick of this. Who informs you? Right here. So here's the going back to point one. Yes, you glorify God and want to enjoy him. But let's be honest. There are other parts of this creation you often find more glory from. That's what we're trying to unpack. Why do I get more excited about a basketball game than God? You following me? That's what we're trying to unpack. Second point, how to figure out what infor- what, where I'm glorying God or what I'm glorying instead of God. Who am I listening to? What witness information, what testimony is moving me? And by the way, this is not boring testimony. Um, when you hear testimony, it enlivens you. In John 4, we have the woman at the well come to believe Jesus is the Savior, leaves her jar, and what does she do? She goes to town to testify. And I love the ending. It sounds negative, but it is not. It's a completely positive statement. We just have to read through what we would think first blush. It sounds like they're being negative, but they're being very positive. 
townspeople, after two days of hearing Jesus coming to believe, more people show up. In verse 42 of chapter 4, they say to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. We now have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. But do you hear what? That's a positive. We believed you. You came to our town and you testified, might this be the Messiah? And we heard you. And because we want a Savior, we went and found him, asked him to stay, listened to him for two days, and now we are telling you, indeed, you are correct. Your testimony was beautiful, like John the Baptist's, pointing us to the Savior, and we feel his glory. Does that make sense? Maybe. Third point will help us, the fun, fun point, and that is the point of uh, judgment, right? Aren't you all so excited about judgment? I think you are more than you realize. You know why I know that? Because you're all very good at it. That's all we do. We evaluate. We judge everything. I think what you don't like and what I don't like is being judged and found wanting. That's what we don't like. But we love being judged and found approved. And we certainly love to judge other things, right? Judgment is all through the passage. It's all through John. Um, If you go to the most famous verse in John, everyone would say what? John 3.16. God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life, judged and approved and eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, judge it, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son. The testimony, right? In verse 19, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light. So judgment is all through through this first five chapters. You get to chapter five and, and Jesus is saying, I can do nothing of my own, verse 30 of chapter 5. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just. And toward the bottom of that passage, the one we listed earlier, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and not the glory that comes from God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father or judge. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. Do you hear that? Judgment. We love to judge. In Romans 1, if I were to quiz you, those of you that know Romans well, you would say, I know what Romans 1 is all about. It's about, especially after that part you just read, Ryan, uh, people exchanging normal passions for abnormal passions, right? Bad, technicolored, wrong sin. And it's there, and it's absolutely true. It's all there. But Paul, in verse 28, says, and... Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, okay, keep going, Paul, he gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. Listen to the list. Evil, covetousness, malice, envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossips, slanderers, hater of God. Okay, Paul, let's go back to the stuff you said already. We can handle that. But when you get into this list, I feel exposed, right? 
In chapter 2, therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the very same things. You don't hate judgment, you hate hypocrisy. Right? We hate hypocrisy. We love judgment. If I do a good job, I want someone to say, well done. Good work. Recently, I was sitting in the living room before dinner, and Bonnie and Meredith have been watching these baking shows. Okay, that's like a child's version of the voice. It's like, let's just make cupcakes. And so they were making cupcakes or cake, and it was really hard, and there was a panel of judges. And at the end of each show, they take the cake and they judge the cake. Right, And they, they taste it and they talk about it's the look and does it match the photo and how does it taste and they describe it. And we went to dinner right after this. We walked into the kitchen and Bonnie says, I want to judge dinner. And I was like, whoa. Like that is danger. Like can you imagine, hmm, mom, uh, the soup's a little bit tart. I don't know what he was saying. But right as I thought that, I realized she's wanting to do something really beautiful. She's not wanting to be mean. She's wanting to say, well done, mom. I've tasted your food, and it's wonderful. Don't you want to, I mean, that's what, if I've cooked a meal, I don't want to hear it's bad. But I also don't want to be ignored. You know, that's fine. I want someone to say, this is really, really good. I want to be judged, don't you? Don't you want to be judged? Paul did in 1 Corinthians He's defending himself, sort of. He's defending the apostleship. And um, he's trying to explain to the Corinthian church that, like, there is a gospel. There is a process. God has planted and God has watered and God has grown. He's even said, you, church, make the temple. And then he, in chapter 4, turns to himself and he says this, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you. Can you imagine having a grasp of the gospel that would make you able to say that? No social media, no panel of people, no snub in a hallway. I am not judged by people. How do you get there? What would the world tell you? I'll tell you how the world tell you to get there. Judge yourself. I am good. I am smart. I am amazing. So I don't need you, except Paul says this. I don't even judge myself. Why would he say that? Because if we're honest, we don't really think those things about ourselves. The people that seem to think those things about themselves the most think that those ways about themselves the least. They're insecure, so they're overplaying it. Right? You need a judge. He says this, it is the Lord who judges me. Wow. Does that feel heavy? The Lord judges you. Now, what's the gospel? There's only one criteria you can be judged by, and that is the blood of Christ. Paul says in Romans 7, right, who will rescue me? Thanks be to Jesus Christ, my Lord, Romans 8. And there is therefore now no condemnation. And he believed that so strongly that he could look at a group of people persecuting him, whether in writing or through slander or gossip, and say, not only do you not judge me, I don't judge myself. The great George Mueller was once quoted as saying, I had to die to what others think about George Mueller, 
and I had to die to what George Mueller thinks about George Mueller. The only opinion of you that matters is whose? God the Father, and he looks at you, and he sees you as righteous because you are righteous. The blood of Christ has covered you. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. Quit falling back into thinking it's not true. Just because you might see evidence of your sin, run back to the cross. Run back to Jesus. Stop being persecuted by this sin. Uh, Who says well done to you? That's my question. If you want to know, going back to this whole outline, where you're giving glory, whose testimony you're believing, my question to you is who is saying well done to you? Is it Facebook? Is it your, what is it about you that people say well done? Is it grades? Is it your, is it your smile, your kindness, your wit, your career, your resume? Where are you after well done? Right? That's what you're looking for for judgment. See, you don't care about the judgment. We, we suppress God's judgment, Romans 1, because we turn to idols and say, I want to be judged by this. But it's fleeting. Right? Um, where does it come from, by the way? Well done, good and faithful servants. Remember the um, parable of the talents? I used to really not know what to do with that parable. May I say I didn't like that parable? Can I just confess that to you? Because what I heard was the productive people, well done. The unproductive person, cast them out. And I started studying that parable. First of all, the first two people didn't do anything that special. They took something that was a gift and they simply did what they needed to do. One might have been dealing with oil and the other was dealing with pork futures. I don't know. And so one made double here, but this one made double. And guess what? They both heard. Well done. Well done. The third person, what did he do? He buried it. And you know why he buried it when the master returned? The master said, why'd you, why'd you bury that? Because I knew you to be harsh. I knew you to be basically an evil person I could not trust. Unbelief. You hear that? Jesus is saying, I am coming to rescue you. I have come to rescue you. Believe on me. Hope on me. And let, hear my pronouncement, well done already. Well done. You are already in that camp. And nobody can judge you. And if you can bind to that, you can look at him as, with glory and honor and praise. Um, I've been wondering if I should close with this, this illustration. I'm going to do it. Um, so when I started RUF, I started with a team of people who uh, you train together. You all go to your campuses. When you come back to training, you hang out. And there was an RUF campus minister named Jameson Stockhouse. And when I started RUF, this guy was a bachelor. He was cool. He, like, smelled good. He dressed nice. He was awesome. And he was single. And then he gets married. So I'm just kind of tracking with him. He gets married. Uh, we would still hang out at training. Uh, he has a, a wife. And eventually they have four children. Eventually he leaves RUF. He's playing a church in California. I think in the, he, he worked in the Santa Barbara area. Um, and about a year ago, so now we've both left RUF. We're part of a new online listserv of ex-RUF people who are 
either planning churches or pastoring churches. And uh, a year ago, he was diagnosed with cancer. But as we walked in the process, it didn't seem to me, as I'm reading the reports, like it was going to take him. Um, and about four weeks ago, we find out that they, all the treatment options were finished. I mean, I was kind of stunned. I, thought, I just kept assuming this is going to be fine. And for the last four weeks, he was in a hospital room. And this past week, he passed away with his wife laying in bed with him, like loving him. And here's the testimony that he left. Uh, People would go visit him and he would simply say, read me the Bible. Tell me about Jesus. That's all he wanted to do. I mean, as he was waning... He was asking for people to read him about scripture. He was seeing his children and he was in the most crazy pain and all he was doing was longing to be with the Lord. And when you you see these pictures come through Facebook, because everyone that tagged him comes through my feed, I'm seeing tons of his close friends writing about him, showing their memories, showing these photos. He's a strong, handsome, godly man, Okay. Easily could have said, my glory is my athleticism. My glory is my looks. My glory is I can lead a church. My glory is my wife. Look at her. My glory is my four kids. And on his deathbed, all he was saying was, tell me about Jesus. If that's not your only hope, then you will be let down at any age. Make that your testimony. Make that your glory. And make that be what judges you. Nothing you do judges you. The blood of Christ. Well done. Let's pray. Jesus, we want to give you glory. We want to praise. We want to sing the song of Psalm 96. Lord, we want to rejoice. But forgive us because we are prone to look at the wrong things, to identify ourselves. Teach us like those people in Samaria who said, we have found the Savior. Teach us to see you as our Savior. Teach us to believe what we say, the testimony that we read, that, Lord, there's nothing in us that made us deserve you. It was your goodness and grace and mercy that made you love us and come to us. And I pray that that witness, that testimony, would unleash in us a desire to glorify you and enjoy you forever like Jameson. Let us all be those that would die well for your glory. Amen.